Welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Good morning, Central. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here. Hey, whichever campus you're on, if you're experiencing this on one of our different campuses, man, we're glad you're here. And then we have an online community that literally is around the world. In fact, Wes, all the way in Denmark, welcome to you, Wes. Welcome to Karen, who's in Iowa, and all the rest of you, wherever you are on the planet. Uh, We are all in this together, and thanks for being a part of it. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to conclude a series that we began about six weeks ago. It's called Through the Valley, and we've been talking about something that churches don't like to talk about. We've been talking about the issues of mental health. And one of the things that we've been trying to communicate throughout this series is that um, we all go through the valley, and the worst thing that can happen to you is that you go through the valley all by yourself because you didn't have to. God didn't want you to. So the subtitle has been You're Not Alone. The worst experiences of our life are when we're struggling and we feel like nobody gets us and nobody's there and nobody can help us. So that's what we've been talking about. Now, I want to say this, that um, there's a lot of subjects that are so fun to talk about and I get excited because I I love to laugh and I love to have a good time. Uh, The subject we're going to land on today is not fun. So I'm just going to tell you up front, it's just not fun. And uh, not a lot to laugh about, so we're not going to be, you know, cutting up. And uh, it's going to be heavy, all right? Um, we're going to talk about depression, all right? It seemed like the appropriate place for us to end this series. Now, I'm going to hope that you don't get overwhelmed. I hope you don't walk out depressed, okay? Uh, that's not the goal. But the goal is to say, can we give words to this? Can we talk about it? And yes, we can. And yes, we're going to. Here's the problem that so many of us struggle with, all right? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, well, I, I love to fish, and I don't think that's a secret. Um, I, have on, I have a boat, and on my boat, I have what's called a graph, and the graph does something that is very, very important uh, if you want to fish, okay? And uh, if you want to fish the way I fish, okay? So what, what happens is, is when you put your boat on the lake, everything on the top of the lake, on the surface, generally looks smooth and calm, and everything is flat. And, uh, you know, it's pretty much uninteresting. There's no hills, there's no mountains, there's nothing on the top of the lake, right? It's surrounded by that stuff, but the lake is flat. And if you thought everything underneath the surface was exactly as it was on the surface, you'd grossly misunderstand what's going on uh, underneath the boat. And so what they do is they've created these things called graphs. It looks just like this. This is a Garmin graph. And what it does is it literally sends sonar down underneath your boat and it picks up on what's underneath the surface, okay? And, and then, like, so you can see there's a, a ship that, that sunk, all right, a boat. And, and so you can start to see. Now, the reason I wanted to show you that is to say this. When we come to church and we gather together, none of us has sonar. All of us have the ability to, on the surface, make an appearance however we want to appear. And in fact, in the day and age that we're living in, Um, We come to church, and for the last 18 months, we've been told to mask up, and we've come to church looking like this. There's nothing wrong with that. not in any way knocking that. Don't misunderstand. But but we do this 
they tell us for protection. And, and you have to ask the question, it's a tough one. Are you protecting yourself or is this for protecting others? And at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because we understand the mask is for the purpose of protection. I wanna suggest that what often we do is we come to church and we put on a mask that nobody can see, but it's very real. And we are hiding behind it for protection. And so we come and we try to let no one beneath the surface. We keep everything up there and nobody has sonar to be able to kind of see underneath and uh, beyond. And so we just kind of, it's all good, it's all good. We've talked about this all through this series. But deep down inside, we know it's not all good. Uh, we've talked about physical health. And, uh, you know, we understand what physical health is. It's good to be healthy. And we go, amen, it's good to be healthy. I, I hope I live a long life and I hope I'm healthy. All of us understand, though, that we go through seasons of unhealth. And that's probably not a word, but it is now. Seasons of unhealth, uh, meaning I caught a cold. I caught the flu. I have a migraine. Whenever you go through a season of unhealth with a physical issue, you, you know that what you need is just, you need some medication, you need some time, you need some sleep, you need some whatever. You take some aspirin, whatever. And uh, nothing weird about coming to church and going, hey, you know, I'm, I got a headache. You don't weird out over that. We all also go through bouts of unhealth uh, in mental ways. And don't get weird about this. It just means that there's just seasons when I'm, uh, I feel overwhelmed at work and, or I'm worried about, I feel stressed out about, uh, I'm fearful of, because stuff happens. But it's really weird we don't handle it the same way. Whenever we're facing some bout of unhealth with our, physica uh, our mental, not our physical, our, uh, our mental, we feel ashamed. We feel like, I've got to hide this. I'm embarrassed by it. I don't want anyone to know. And so we go under the surface uh, quietly in desperation, hoping nobody sees what's behind it all. And I just think that's a huge problem. So we're going to we're gonna talk about depression today. Now, have I made it clear this is not going to be overly uplifting? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, we got it, right? But let's talk about it. And as we start to talk about it, again, there's just a couple things I want to be really, really clear about. Number one, no intention. We're not going to clear up everyone's depression today in the next 20 minutes. And so, you know, I'm so glad I came to church today. I was depressed and now I'm not. That's not going to happen. The point is not to do that. The point is to give you something to think about, something to ponder, something to process, okay? So that's what's gonna happen. So that's the first understanding. Second understanding, there's no exception here when it comes to depression. Every one of us have, has, has experienced th this thing we're talking about. Uh, every one of us, we've all been depressed. Now I'm not saying you're living depressed, but you felt depressed. There's, things happen in life. It, it's a common experience of humanity. And I think it's really, really important that we understand that and it doesn't make you weird that you are. Um, any number of things can bring on depression, which most of which we've already talked about. Uh, there can be a traumatic event in your life, an experience that sets you uh, just uh, sideways. You had no idea what was going on. It can be fear, it can be anxiety, it can be stress, it can be guilt, it can be shame. It can be an abusive relationship you're in. Some people would say, I'm depressed and I don't even know why. You can be depressed and not even understand how you got there. I don't know what's, I just feel this funk, man. It's just overwhelming me right now. Uh, people who uh, experience it uh, say, you know, if I were trying to sum it up, I would just, it's, it's extreme sadness. It's, it's fatigue. It's a sense of hopelessness. 
It's about anxiety. It's about mood swings. All of this stuff is in this issue of depression. Now, people who live there, meaning uh, they would go, I, you know, I'm spending way too much time, and we'll talk about that in a moment. They'll, they'll say sentences where you listen to it and you go, what does it feel like? And they'll go, and I'll, I'll quote some people. I feel like I'm carrying around a bag of cement for no reason. Just a lot of weight. I just feel this real heaviness on me. Somebody else said it this way. It's, it's like being in a hole you can't dig out of or a net you can't free yourself from. I'm just caught up in it. I'm just stuck in it. I, I want to get out of it, but I just can't find my way out. I, I think the best one I've ever heard is this one right here. I wanted to write down exactly what I felt, but somehow the paper stayed empty and I could not have described it any better. Wow. They suggest that it's the feeling you have when you're waiting for test results to come back. That anxiety, that anxious, that like, oh, time. And I'm hopeful, but I'm scared. And there we go. That's, it's a prolonged sense of that. There's no test coming, but it feels like that. You, you might not be aware of this, but depression, as we understand it today, was relatively unknown in the past. In fact, the study of the mental health issue of depression goes only back to the beginning of the 20th century. That's when the science that, that we now are living in that's trying to understand what happens when we become depressed really got rooted. And uh, you know the cause and the effect and all of that's been growing since then. Now depression has been around as long as people have been on the planet. And the Bible is interesting because the Bible does not directly relate anything to depression. Like it doesn't come out and say, here's the three things you do when you feel depressed. It will definitely talk about the things that can lead you into depression and what you ought to do, fear, anxiety, stress, those kind of things. But it doesn't directly give you any insight. But, but people who have been on the planet have felt depressed ever since they've been on the planet. So the Bible, all you got to do is just pay attention to the people and listen to the things that come out of their mouths. And, and in fact, I wish I had time because we could do an extended Bible study on this. But let me just show you a couple of things and, and listen to the sentences that certain leaders in the Bible spoke. Like Moses, Moses, went, you know, you talk about like phenomenal leaders. You got to talk about Moses. But Moses, you might know, was a very reluctant leader. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He felt inadequate. And then he was leading the people and the people kept screwing up and he kept trying to defend them before God. And at one point... Uh, he was, it was so dark. In fact, he says this in Exodus 32, 32, the words of Moses. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Do you understand what he's saying? These people screw up so much. Would you just leave them alone, God? They're messed up. But if you can't, then just remove me, man. Just get me off the planet. Just take me away. David, David was the, the king of kings, uh, not Jesus, but he was the king of kings, the, the earthly kings, before the king of kings came, Jesus. He was the one who set up the king of Israel idea. And uh, it's interesting because he had such high, high moments in his life, killed Goliath, did all kinds of incredible things, and he experienced some real lows. Remember the thing with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, not his wife, it's a huge mess. And he prayed and prayed and prayed that the son would be spared, but the son died, and he was just agony, just agony. Uh, if you read the Psalms, many of which are credited to David, he, in there, he, he just, 
the Psalms are like rife with depression. And it's not bad. It's just there. Uh, it's just the sense of despair and frustration. Uh, David says this in Psalm 42, 11, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? That's dark. I just feel so bad. God, God, why? Why do I feel so bad? Job, we talk about Job. Job had everything and he lost it all. And uh, in Job 3.11, it says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Well, that was uplifting, amen? You getting the drift here? These are the people in the Bible. Jeremiah, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations, not a victory dance, just so you know. It's all these things he was so sorrowful for. In Jeremiah 20, 18, he said, why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and end my days in shame? Well, that was uplifting. Jonah, Jonah, you know, Jonah with the whale. Jonah said, now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Just listen to what people say and you'll see the commonality of the darkness that people have lived through, all right? The poster child, though, the poster child to me has got to be Elijah. And there's an episode. In fact, here's what I need you to do. Wherever you are, wherever you are, take your Bible, open it to 1 Kings chapter 19. So you guys with me here? 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> and while you're finding 1 Kings chapter 19, because I want you to see the first four verses in 1 Kings 19, You'll never understand them if I don't explain to you 1 Kings 18 or if you're not familiar with it. So give me a moment to just tell you what's going on in 1 Kings 18 so that 1 Kings 19 will make sense. Here's what's happening. So this man of God, Elijah, prophet of God, a very powerful man, is kind of juxtaposed against a, a wicked king and his wife. The wicked king is a guy named Ahab. His wife is a woman named Jezebel. The Jezebel, if you've ever heard the derogatory or pejorative name Jezebel, that's her. This is a wicked couple. Elijah prays that it won't rain, and so God cuts the rain off. Ahab and Jezebel are just put out with him. And then they have prophets of two foreign gods uh, that they serve. This is the, the, the king that's supposed to be representing Yahweh, but he's about the what are called the Baals and the Asherah. And these are foreign gods for, all, for the sake of this. And they have prophets. They have ministers that would represent them, 400 and 450 uh, collectively. And so the people are being kind of drawn by the king and his wife over to the Baals and the Asherah. And this guy, Elijah, representing God, feels the need to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And so he challenges them to a contest. 1 Kings chapter 18 has one of the most classic episodes in the entire Bible. It's a story you probably understand. It's a showdown between the 400, and 400 prophets and the 450 prophets representing those two foreign gods and Elijah. And the contest was very simple. Build an altar, put an animal on the altar, pray to your gods. Uh, Baal is like fire god. Pray that he would light the altar on fire, consume the bull. And so the contest begins, they go first, there's 450 and then 400, there's two different groups. And they're all circling and chanting and marching and screaming and cutting themselves and hours pass, nothing happens. Elijah just starts mocking them. And then they just kind of go, okay. And then he says, all right, uh, let's get this altar ready. So they cut another bull, they put it on that altar. And Elijah goes, this is way too simple. 
Uh, he says, look, we're in a drought, right? Yeah, get some water. Well, we don't have much. Get what we have. And they begin to douse the wood on this altar. They just douse it. And he says, douse it again. And then douse it again. There's like no way this is going to light. It's soaked now. And uh, he goes, okay, now this should be pretty obvious who God is. And he just simply prays his prayer. And he says, God, light the thing on fire. The thing goes up in flames. Everyone's like blown away. Everyone's going, those guys are false prophets. That's the real God. And Elijah says, take those 400 and those 450 prophets, take them down to the valley and slaughter them. And they do, they kill them. The next thing that happens at the tail end of 1 Kings 18, and again, this is not exactly how it happened for the sake of time, Elijah began to pray for rain and he saw a little cloud off in the horizon. He knew rain was coming. 1 Kings 19, now you're gonna understand. It says this, 1 Kings 19, one through four. Now Ahab told Jezebel, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. What, what, what was that? That's a death threat. Elijah, I'm gonna kill you. Uh, Jezebel, one woman who's just bent on revenge. So Elijah, just having stood against the 400 and the 450 prophets, seeing this incredible thing of God, he said to Jezebel, who do you think you are? That's not what he did. Look what he did. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Don't miss it. That's a scorned woman right there, man. Be afraid. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. You stay here, and I'm going to go hide farther in. And off he goes. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Can I show you that last verse? Stare at it. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. God, I can't do this anymore. This is deep, deep depression. Now, he's basically saying, God, I want to die. I want to die right now, right here, right this moment. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm absolutely positive he didn't want to die. Why do I know he didn't want to die? There's a very easy way to explain he didn't want to die. Why do I know he didn't want to die? Because there was an angry woman named Jezebel who was more than willing to accommodate him if that's what he really wanted. All he had to do was go surrender himself to her. She'd do the rest. He didn't want to die. He's depressed. After a huge victory, he drops into this deep, deep depression. I want to say this because I think it's important that we understand. Being depressed is it's common. It's not, doesn't make you weird, doesn't make you unusual. Uh, we all experience pressure on us that takes an effect. Like, I was thinking about this. I grabbed this. Actually, my wife's couch, but technically. I think she's here. I'm sorry, honey. I didn't ask. No. I, I grabbed this off our couch, and um, I, I did this to just kind of make the point. You know, it's interesting. If you depress the pillow, you press in, you depress it, guess what? It just bounces back. 
It just bounces. It doesn't matter how you press it. You can press it this way. You can press it this way. You can do it this way. And you know what? As soon as you let up on the pressure, the thing just bounces back. This is how it's supposed to be. Not that you can't take any pressure. You were designed to take pressure. But as soon as the pressure alleviates, you should bounce back. The question is, how long does it take you to bounce back? If I were to put this in some sort of a box and seal it and cram it in there, you know, force it in there, leave it in there for a long time, then you open it up. You can imagine it's not going to bounce back. This is the problem. I, I don't know why they've come up with this, but I know that this is kind of the understanding that when depression lingers and as short as two weeks, when it just goes beyond two weeks, you know you're dealing with something you gotta give some attention to. There's something going on and it needs to be looked at. So I wanna explain to you that the Bible doesn't directly address depression. It addresses issues that can lead you to depression. One verse that I wanna show you is Proverbs 12, 25. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. The Hebrew word there is to weigh down, is to press in, is to depress. That's the closest we can get. And uh, anxiety can do that to you, which again, we've talked about. So let me be crystal clear about what depression is not. Let me... I wanna say this as clear as I know how, and I hope this is as helpful as it can be. All right, now listen carefully. Depression is not, first and foremost, a sin. It's not a sin. It can't be a sin if the Bible never even addresses it. It's not a sin. You wake up, you're you're feeling overwhelmed. It's not a sin. The second thing I wanna say, it's not. It's not a sign of weakness. If you were stronger, It's not a sign of weakness. And so we say, come and snap out of it as if somehow it's like that easy. No, it's not a sin. It's not a sign of weakness. The third thing it's not, it's not a secret that should be kept. Tragically, um, too often we mask up and we just don't want anyone to know. And it only is gonna get worse as you do this thing alone. It's not uh, a secret. Uh, Fourth, it's not a shortcoming that you should be ashamed of. Now, why am I saying all this? Because if, if we weren't feeling what we were feeling, we'd be more willing to talk about it, and I know we're not. So we feel these things. The fifth thing I, I need to say that it's not, it's not a simple problem with a simple solution. You, you might not know this, but all depression isn't alike, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. Not all depressed people are depressed for the same reasons in the same ways. We know of certain kind of depressions that we've been able to identify like seasonal uh, affective disorder, which is when you live up in a place where it rains all the time, like Oregon or Washington maybe in the winter and it's always cloudy and people go, I just, I get this way every winter. Seasonal affective disorder. And we know about, uh, after having a baby, we know of like postpartum depression. Okay, there's seven of these that they've been able to identify. Every one of them takes a different way to cope. It's caused by something different. It takes a different way to cope. I want to just spend the few moments I have, I want to talk to you about two of these. And I do this with some fear and reluctance because I, the chances of me being misunderstood in the next few minutes are so high. 
then I'm gonna pray that doesn't happen. Let me explain to you about two. The first is what is kind of the big one. It's called major depressive disorder. It's known as clinical depression. What is clinical depression? And according to the American Psychiatric Association, one in 15 adults will experience this in any given year. One in six of us will experience this in our lifetime. Often, not always, often caused, and this is where it's gonna get controversial, by a chemical imbalance in our brain. A chemical imbalance. I don't wanna get overly clinical in talking about this, but this is one of a number of mood disorders that people who study the brain can identify. And they go, this is what it's about. Um, In your brain, there are these neurotransmitters um, that take and uh, they send like messages across what dendrites that communicate to other parts and it's a system, norepinephrine, uh, serotonin, uh, dopamine. And what happens for a variety of reasons is these misfire or uh, they don't work their way through the line as it should and certain cells take too many and deplete the rest of the system and all kinds of crazy things can happen here. Now listen carefully to me. Um, when these things happen, your, your brain is misfiring and it's sending wrong messages. Now, I am not in a hurry to send you to go to Big Pharma to go get this fixed. Don't hear me. But I do think we do an injustice to people when we say, why don't you just pray more? Why don't you just believe in God more? Why don't you just buck up, little camper? Come on, it's not so bad. When all mine are firing and theirs are not. And so don't be quick. But I wanna say this, if, if this is in you and it's been for a long time and you have never been to a doctor to go get this checked out, I, I just wanna give you freedom and permission. Again, not, don't race there. No, blame all your problems on your you know, chemical misfirings in your brain. But if you were struggling with diabetes, I would never lay a guilt trip on you about using insulin. What are you doing, you person of no faith? How could you, if you just believed in God more, I would never do that to you. And if something's a chemical deal, then we just gotta call it out. And I would encourage you to get that checked out. Now again, don't race to the doctor, but, Possibly, that could be what's going on. Now, the second one I wanna talk about, and this gets a little more personal, is persistent depressive disorder. This is when, uh, I don't know how to say this, but I can't blame any chemical. This is about decisions I've made in my life, decisions I'm making in my life, sins I'm accommodating in my life, and it's taken its toll on me. I, I can't blame anyone for these. These are, these are the things I've chosen. These are things I've done. It's how I've handled certain things. Um, it persists, you can't shake it, and you go, I don't know what's causing it. Sometimes it's sin in your life, it just is. It just, sometimes it's not a, like, a, like a sinister sin, it's just, you, 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 you hit that point and when you could have turned left, you chose to turn right or left, you know, right and left. 
It's the things that we do to ourselves that put ourselves in a frame of mind that eventually catches up with us. Like for instance, a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you this, look, you, you have a right to be a victim. I don't care what, you, what you've gone through. Everyone's been traumatized by, so you have a right to be a victim. I, I said, don't play the victim card. And I use my own life as an example. Don't play the victim card. If you play the victim card, you get to be the victim, but then you gave up all your power. And if you're gonna be the victim, then you can feel sorry for yourself the rest of your life for all the things that went wrong because you were so powerless and nothing you could have done could have changed the course of your life. These are, the, these, are these moments when we, we could have turned toward God, we didn't. You, you become a victim, I guarantee you what's gonna happen, you're gonna begin to feel sorry for yourself. Poor you, of all the people, poor you. Where do you think that's going to lead you in the long run? And so we get on a pathway that takes us to a destination. We go, I didn't, I didn't want to end up being depressed, but gosh, that's sure how I ended up. The uh, Biblical Counseling Center of Chicago suggests four stages that we can walk ourselves down. And literally, we're going down in these four steps. Let me show them to you, Okay. Stage or step number one is disappointment or discouragement. Disappointment or discouragement is what can start us on the journey downward. I didn't get the job. I didn't get the promotion. I didn't get the, I didn't get the girl. I, I didn't, the marriage didn't work out. My kids didn't turn out, you know, whatever. It's just discouragement. It's something that it just didn't work out. And I'm disappointed. And at that point, if you don't trust God and you don't turn it to God, and again, people who don't walk with God aren't going to turn it over to God. But those of us who do can go, God, I'm so disappointed, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to put my confidence and my hope in you. And I'm going to believe that you're going to cause all things to work together for the good for those who love you. And even though I don't get it and this isn't what I'd will, I'm disappointed, but I believe. Well, if you don't go there, you're going to go to the next step and the next step, stage two, or step two, is discontentment. Discontentment is when you look at your, your current circumstances and you're so, you're, you're, you're so miserable because you deserve better and you're not getting it. And, and here again, you start to, to take shots at God. God, I, I expected more out of you. I thought you were going to keep this from happening. I thought you guaranteed me a happy marriage. I thought, I thought, I thought. And all of a sudden, so now you're taking, you're taking on God. And uh, that's going to lead to the third stage, which is despair. And I'm going to say this. When you feel despair, look at me. You will seek comfort somewhere. I think God wants us to feel discomfort so that we will seek him in our discomfort. But that's often what we don't do. We seek comfort through uh, relationships or substances or food or sex or entertainment none of which will, will fill the gap, none of which will satisfy, and they're just gonna drop you in deeper despair, which takes you to the fourth stage, and that's desperation and destructiveness. And what, what do you mean? Um, it's when we start making really, really bad choices, and this is where it gets really dark here, folks. There's four avenues of escape that they've identified people choose. Four. First is... Uh, some sort of a relationship. I'm going to escape in a relationship. So you're going to have that adulterous relationship or you're going to 
you're going to divorce. People who have affairs and people who divorce say things like, hey man, I just wanted to feel alive again. I felt like I died and all of a sudden I'm alive. Yeah, you just destroyed something in the process. The second um, is just escaping into substances. Perry talked about this last week. A pill, a bottle, sugar, food, just something. And something that alter the mood that I'm in, just alter the mood, which obviously becomes its own problem in addiction. Third is escaping into isolation, which is just, I just, I'm dropping out, man. I'm dropping out. I'm dropping out of church. I'm dropping out of my life group. I'm dropping out of my friends. I'm dropping out. Put yourself in solitary confinement. And tragically, the fourth escape, and I can't get around it, is escape to suicide. I, I don't think you're unaware that suicide is skyrocketing right now. And my guess is it's probably hit closer to home than you ever thought it would. Most of us go, I just can't believe. I'm so hurt. I'm so hurt that um, suicide. Uh, I think it's the absolute last place God wanted you to land. It's just not where he wanted you to go. Suicide, unfortunately, seems like a good idea, and so people opt for it to deaden the pain. Uh, the best thing I've ever heard about suicide that has been helpful to me is suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's a permanent solution. And people go, I just can't live here anymore, and I've got to do something. I don't have time to talk a lot about suicide. I just want to say a couple of things. There is so much help available if you're at that place. Please, please, please seek help. Don't be alone. Don't do this on your own. On our church podcast, Beyond the, uh, the Lines, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was an interview with a guy named Mark Fowl. I was on suicide. It is so good. It's so good if you're what uh, we refer to as suicide ideation. You're having thoughts of suicide. And it's also really good if you know somebody who's having thoughts of suicide. And I would encourage you, Alyssa, now again, they're gonna give you resources there, but there are so many resources. Please, 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 let us help you. Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna finish this message right now because we're all uplifted. I'm gonna finish this message with a big idea. And I want you to listen very carefully because I think if you get this, you get what I've been trying to say to you for the last X number of minutes. All right, here it is. You don't get over depression as much as you get through it. It's gonna come in your life. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna be there, some form of depression. It's just some of you today are going, yeah. You don't get over it, but you can get through it. So through the valley means I don't live in the valley. I'm passing through. You will pass through the valley of depression. That is what Psalm 23 talks about. But you don't have to stay there. There's a way out. 
Jesus said it this way in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, you could, it, possibly, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So, 10 years ago, a business friend of mine who uh, I love like a brother, he's been in this church for 30 some years probably, 40 years maybe, he uh, was in real estate and uh, the subprime thing just uh, hurt him really badly. And just go back to 2008 to 10 and you remember all that. And it sent him uh, into a tailspin. And if he were standing right here, he would tell you that's exactly what happened. In 2015, um, I asked him if he would be willing to talk to the church about the struggle with depression he faced as a result of that. And he did, but we did it via video so that we could show it everywhere. And uh, it was so good. It was so powerful. He just put it in such eloquent words, the struggle. And so when we were on this, I talked to him again. I said, hey, what about reprising that? Would you do that again? And you know what he said? It looks so different to me now. I can't, I couldn't capture it now like I felt it then, which is a really key insight. So we came up with the idea, Brian, what if we showed a little bit of what you said in 2015 and you comment on it from today's point of view? And that's what we've captured. The first thing you'll see is him today. Then you'll see him looking at an iPad. That was what he said in 2015. Listen carefully. Uh, we were prepared for a really bad storm, but what hit was a tsunami. And it went way longer than <coughs> any of us were anticipating. For each of those next five years, I woke up recognizing that my life was substantially worse than it had been the year before. And I spent that time just trying to find a solution and there was no solution. And I cried myself awake many, many mornings. That was such a tremendously dark chapter to go through. And, you know, I just felt I was being hit with wave after wave of bad news. And eventually that took me to a depression. I fell into depression. It, it's like you're putting a lens over your eyes and everything you see, every aspect of your life is darkened and brought down. And things that, that used to bring you joy and lift you up aren't lifting you anymore. And when you're outside of that, looking at it, you know, it doesn't add up. The reasons somebody who's depressed gives for feeling the way they feel doesn't make sense. It's not rational. But when you're in that place, that's what you're experiencing, this overwhelming sense of, sense of despair. Because in those moments, I didn't feel like I had any hope. I didn't feel I had a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And it was difficult just to engage and to continue on. And so the, the question you ask is, what do you do when you don't have any hope? When you're out and every bit of optimism you've got has been spent. And I've learned what you do. 
You borrow hope from other people that love you. That is, is such a, a critical truth. And I, I would simply not have gotten through this experience without the faith and hope other people had for me. And I think many think that if you're living out your faith and you're doing all the things that we're supposed to do, that somehow that's gonna immunize you from the possibility of every experiencing feelings like this. I, I don't think that's true. There's a verse in Corinthians that I read now very differently than I read it before this experience. And the Apostle Paul is talking about his, his travels to Asia and he says to the Corinthians, I want you to be aware, brothers, that while in Asia we experienced hardships far beyond what we were able to endure, so much so that we despaired of life itself. And, and when I read those words after this experience, they jumped out at me. You know, what, what does it mean to despair of life itself? I know exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying. This can happen to a person of faith. And, and if it's happening to you, if you're experiencing this, there's a, there's a lie that Satan wants you to believe. And that is that these terrible feelings, this darkness you're experiencing, is gonna be the way you feel forever. A friend of mine said something to me that I remember. He, he, he said, what should you do when you're going through hell? You should keep going. There is no quick fix. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But I clung to those words, and that's what I did, and I got through. My name is Brian Matlock, and this is my story. Yeah, wow. So what do you do when you're going through hell? You, you just keep going. You were not meant to live in the valley. You can get through the valley, and uh, you're not going to get over, but you can get through. And God wants to walk with you. And I want to say to you, where, again, wherever you are, uh, we want to walk with you if you need us. We'll be there, and you will get through this. So I'm going to first thank you for uh, processing this difficult message. Thanks for doing that. And then I want to pray, and then I want to introduce somebody to you. So let's pray. So God, uh, in this moment right now, we just... Uh, kind of stop, and uh, we just need to process. We need to think. Again, all of us face times where we're down. Call it a funk, call it blue, call it whatever. Uh, but we'll bounce back. It'll come back. But sometimes, if we're just honest, we go, it's just not bouncing anymore. It's just lingering. It's so easy to uh, live on the surface, and uh, it's so easy to mask up for protection and isolate. And God, only it's only gonna get worse when we do. So, Lord, I just pray that um, you uh, help us to realize that there is hope, and it's in you. And uh, again, however we got here, that uh, we don't have to stay here. I am so grateful that Brian uh, stayed with it through it all, and uh, love that brother dearly. And it takes courage, and it takes, again, eyes on you. But Lord, I pray that anyone who's struggling right now, eyes on you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.